Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Looking at the Colts and, and, and listening to Chuck Pagano there towards the end, I thought it was interesting when he said, you know, listen, the... The incumbent is always the favorite, so to speak. Um, I don't know if that means that Jeff Saturday is per se the favorite to land the head coaching position for the Colts, but one would assume, maybe assume is the wrong word, but it would seem as though it would be wise to go with somebody that has an offensive mindset. I think what we forget, Kevin, is not only are the Colts going to be looking for a head coach, but obviously then, you know, probably an offensive coordinator as well, right? So a couple of areas to go with that yeah and you know there's an aspect to saturday and that hire that again fascinated by not i wouldn't agree with the hire but the fascination to me is like what the hell is his coaching staff going to look like you know when you see a a name like dan quinn raheem morris you know D'Amico ryan's whoever you inevitably kind of go to their coaching tree and just kind of pull out, okay, uh, that guy has a connection there, that guy's connection there. You can kind of see, oh, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan tree, Sean McVay tree, et cetera. With Saturday, like, is Dan Orlovsky his offensive coordinator? Right. I mean, fair, right? And I say that in all seriousness. Um, Jake, will Peyton Manning have any involvement if Jeff Saturday is here? Surely not. I thought you brought. I got, uh, I got to thinking about this. I was going I thought you brought up a pretty good point about Peyton yesterday, and if you don't mind, this is after the show, but don't mind uh, or please uh, share that. If you look at, let, let's analyze or take a look at Jeff Saturday in October. Jeff Saturday in October was a beloved Colts figure who was in the ring of honor, who was, you know, the 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 underdog feel-good story, and everybody in Indianapolis loved Jeff Saturday. Hey, he's on billboards all over. Correct. Bailey and Wood, right? Spokesperson for a company. I mean, just a great guy in general. I, his, you know, whatever's happened in the last couple of months doesn't take away from the fact yeah, great that he dude. is a great dude. But great, yesterday we Great took, bro is probably how he would like to be referred. That's right. You know? Yesterday, we took two different phone calls from people saying, if they hire Jeff Saturday, I'm done. Now, we both know people aren't ever going to be done, right? That's that's fun to say. But, but his legacy in Indianapolis, I'm not going to say is tainted, but the mindset or the thought process of which he is viewed now is multi-layered. Peyton Manning is arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. But I think I've told the story. I mean, I won't tell the whole story, but but when I worked at Channel 6 and they retired his jersey number at the University of Tennessee, I went down with the aforementioned Otis Jones to cover it. And Vernon Cheek, who was working in media relations for the Colts at the time, came up to me in the locker room the next week and said, hey, Peyton mentioned that um, you were down in Knoxville for his jersey retirement. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, he wants to know if, if he can get the the footage of that, uh, of the, the coverage of that. 
he'd like to have a copy of it. And I thought, we get calls a lot of times from people whose kids were on Friday Night Football that, that they want video mm-hmm. of that. But yeah. Peyton Manning, so Peyton Manning and the, the perception of Peyton Manning is extremely important to Peyton Manning. The, the love affair that Peyton Manning has, Peyton Manning, I think, is still hurt by the fact that the Indianapolis Colts moved on from Peyton Manning, but he will always hold on to the fact that the Indianapolis Colts fans have not. And the reason why, in my opinion, Peyton Manning will never come back in an official working capacity for the Indianapolis Colts is exactly because of what you have seen in terms of how it impacts the perception of a player that we've seen with Jeff Saturday. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think it's honestly, Jake, a reason why he hasn't done the Manning cast <laughs> with Colts games. I know that's not the same thing as you know being the interim head coach for a couple months, but... Uh, Peyton, I'd say it's an understatement how much he worries and is in tune with perception of how he's viewed, especially in this market. Um, But yeah, I'm just, I am so curious what a coaching staff would look like for Jeff Saturday. I see Tall here, you know, kind of points out how important that offensive coordinator hire would be, certainly. But I mean, defensive coordinator, is Jeff Saturday, I mean, would he retain Gus Bradley? Would Gus Bradley want to do that? Is there, you know, more of a dungy like coaching tree that he'd want to tap into on the defensive side of the ball? Be just super curious what that would look like. I know this is kind of stating the obvious, but I I don't know how you guys felt, but watching the wild card games this weekend, I was reminded of how important coaching is. And I know that sounds very elementary. But look at what San Francisco has gotten from a third-string rookie seventh-round pick in Brock Purdy. Yeah. Look at what Miami did with a third-string seventh-round rookie and competing for the entire 60 minutes in that game. Look at what Baltimore did with their backup quarterback. Very easily could have won that game. And then you can look at it from the flip. Those are kind of the positive aspects of, wow, getting a you know, very inexperienced quarterback, particularly in the Purdy case, particularly in the Skylar Thompson case. But you look at the time management late in those games by Miami, by Baltimore. We're going to talk more about the New York Giants and their candidates coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. I would argue the Giants have had the greatest turnaround of any team this season. And for me, it has almost everything to do with coaching. It's not like the Giants went out and made these massive personnel changes. All of a sudden, Daniel Jones is like more than competent at quarterback. And again, rattle off their wide receivers and tight ends. They're a bunch of nobodies. So it's probably obvious. I'm probably just stating it. But coaching really, really matters. You know what else stuck out to me watching the playoff games? Look at the point totals the team scored. 41, 31, 34, 31, 24, 31. What are the Colts average all season? 17 points a game. Yeah, it's a great point. I think great that point. when you look, if you were to look at the teams that are still alive, you know, Patrick Mahomes drafted, sits for a year, then goes in, obviously has success fairly early. No, starting from day one. Josh Allen. Drafted, a lot of question marks about him. Once the 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 switch was flipped, it was flipped for sure. But you had to kind of wait a little bit. Trevor Lawrence, 
a year of struggling, had to stand by him, build some pieces, go out and get, you know, probably overpay for a receiver that turned out to be a, a great sign for them, and now it, it's come together for them. Joe Burrow, you know, pretty great player right out of the box. But you look at the situations of the teams that are competing right now and what you see, and to your point, a couple of teams that have quarterbacks that were not thought to be in this situation, but they had great rosters built around them. The Colts really don't have either. I think they have a good roster. I don't Clearly, they don't have a great roster, and they don't have a roster that can carry subpar quarterback play because they just went 4-12-1 with that. But whoever they draft now, because they assuming that they are that this is the year, whether it's Bryce Young, whether it's CJ Stroud, whether it's Will Levis, who I believe it's going to be personally. You think it'll be Levis? I do. But whoever it's going to be, That'd be the second comment you've made that have people driving off four sixty five <laughs> this morning. Whoever it is going to be, you give yourself more time. You can eject from Matt Ryan after a year because you go, you know what, this isn't going to work. You can eject from Carson Wentz after a year. You know, this isn't going to work. Phillip Rivers obviously retired. When you draft a quarterback, you have to give yourself at least a two-year window because there are there's precedent of what I just mentioned of patience being a virtue. Well, Peyton so, Manning and Trevor Lawrence. Correct. So people that think like, oh, they're going to draft a quarterback and next year they're right back in the playoffs. I, I think there are people that... I think Jeff Saturday feels like this team can be in the playoffs next year. But they are they are basically asking for a another two year grace period under the Chris Ballard administration and it is a it is closer to a rebuild than a retool. Yeah, the only reason why I wouldn't just outright laugh at the comment of Jeff Saturday thinking the Colts can be in the playoffs next year is because they play in a division that is the AFC South. And certainly you think Jacksonville is going to be a little bit more of a mainstay here, but you have no confidence in Tennessee, I think in Houston necessarily, uh, being a major, major threat next year. Um, Do you guys think we're done with coaching openings? It almost seems like with what the Chargers did yesterday, that was their scapegoat. Correct. In firing offense coordinator Joe Lombardi, retaining Brandon Staley. Todd Bowles were now what? You know, 36 hours removed from it, nothing there. I don't know, maybe something later in the week. If Dallas got their doors blown off in San Francisco, never rule out Jerry Jones, but it almost seems like the five openings are the five openings. Cardinals, Broncos, Panthers, Colts, and Texans. Barring like a Pete Carroll retirement or something like that, you might be right. And that's always an off-season discussion, right? Mm -hmm. Now... We saw yesterday Frank Reich interview in Arizona for their head coaching gig. I believe Carolina has been the other interview for Frank Reich. If you were Frank Reich, Jake, would you look at Carolina or Arizona, or would you look at, let's go be Justin Herbert's offensive coordinator for a year? The thought is the Chargers take a step forward, Herbert continues to grow, they have a great season, and then Reich is probably viewed as one of, if not the most coveted coaching candidates in 2024. I think Justin Herbert is viewed in league circles as one of the great young pieces, right? I, I think he has seen, honestly, when you, I, if you were to ask quote unquote football people, and by that I mean people that are drawing a paycheck from an NFL franchise, to rank young quarterbacks, he would be what? Top five? 
I mean, he is very, very highly thought of. Uh, that combined with living in Los Angeles would be pretty tempting. But I know that coaches that have been head coaches aspire to continue to be head coaches. And of the Arizona and Carolina situations, I would probably, if I'm Frank Reich, favor Arizona because they have, they ha- you at least know who the quarterback's going to be. And you've got a pretty dangerous weapon at wide receiver. And those are two things that I think coaches would covet, right? Greg goes, this list, referring to the Colts head coaching candidate list, screams Chuck Pagano 2.0. I assume what he's referencing with that is guys with little coordinator experience, no head coaching experience is all over this list. Um, And to a point, he's right. I mean, it is a lot of, if I'm not mistaken, everybody's a current coordinator right now right. in the NFL outside of Jeff Saturday. Um, you do have some guys that have been very young coordinators in Mike Kafka's case or even a Shane Steichen case. Um, you know, Ben Johnson pulled his name out, but you know, you have, particularly on the offense side of the ball, some young coordinators there. Defensively, you have a little bit more experienced coordinators. I guess, Jake, outside of Sean Payton, and again, put Harbaugh to the side, because to me, so much of it seemed age and contract driven. Outside of Sean Payton, isn't this kind of what every team's list looks like right now? Like all five openings? Obviously, the Colts weren't going to hire Frank Reich again. So I almost feel like you take Sean Payton's name out of it. This is pretty much the group of names you're seeing in every single opening of... The Dan Quinns, the D'Amico Ryans, again, when Ben Johnson was involved there. Obviously, the Colts have a little bit of a longer list, but I'm not really seeing other names for other openings outside of Peyton that look at the Colts situation and say, I don't want any part of that. Can I ask a really dumb question? By all means. Drew Brees is a phenomenal talent, or was in his prime, correct? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Yeah, first bowder. The NFC South, even though I realized they had a a unique kind of an anomaly stretch there where they didn't they have like a different team from their division go to the Super Bowl four straight years or something weird like that, or they, they rotated winners in the division. But the NFC South has had some teams that have had their doldrums. I think Sean Payton is a good coach, don't get me wrong, but are we over-inflating how good a coach he is? Probably a little bit, but... Jay- I mean, Drew Brees is a is a, a, a top 10 quarterback of all time. And, yeah, I, I get... I mean, but if you look at his coaching record, okay? Wins the division in 06, loses in the championship game, okay. But, you know... you. 2017, wins 11 games, loses in the divisional game. I, I get it. They're going to the playoffs. 2018, 13-3, loses in the, the championship game of the conference. 2019, 13-3, loses in the wild card game. 2020, 12-4, loses in the divisional game. 2021, 9-8. 2014-15-16, under 500. I, I mean... I think he's a very good coach, don't get me wrong. But like I think Is that the same argument there for Belichick? 
Now, Belichick at least had multiple, multiple seasons of of winning Super I, I get it. I but mean, Peyton had, has not been without Breeze, correct? What I'm saying, correct, but what I'm saying is with Breeze, I mean, he won a Super I'm not saying he's not good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's not probably a better, I mean, he's a known commodity. But I just, I think that we, we have a tendency to automatically fall in love with a guy and then it's like, we got to get that guy. We got to get that guy. Oh my gosh, we got to get that guy. Like, I remember, uh, just for example, I mean, I remember the summer that Carmelo Anthony, like the New York Knicks were like, we got to get Carmelo Anthony. We got to get Carmelo. And they mortgaged their whole franchise to go get Carmelo Anthony. Because once you get it in your mind that you have to get a a player or a coach, you become so hell-bent on it that you almost start to over I think he's very good don't get me wrong but is he is he in fact a franchise changing coach like if Sean Payton goes to Denver all of a sudden now do the Broncos become an AFC championship contender I don't know maybe they do yeah I mean I guess what was the what was the Saints record the one year that Payton was out you know I feel like we always do that with with Belichick don't we do the Belichick the Matt Castle year right so what what was that? The Bounty Gate year? What would that have been? Boy, what year was that though? I mean, like I said, 14, 15, 16, they were seven and nine all three years. It was one of those, wasn't it? I feel like it was a little bit earlier. I, I than think that. He, he coach, again, but well, he was it, seven and nine in 07. He was eight and eight in, in 08. Do they list a year he didn't coach? I mean, it's gotta be one of those, right? 11, 12, something like that. 13? Oh, it was twelve. Yeah, twelve. Uh let me see here. What their record was, it doesn't list. The you know, I, I I think on the Peyton front, Jake, it's more of just comparing him to the candidates that you're seeing right now, in that he does have this vast amount of experience in the league. Certainly, Breeze is with him for the entire run, uh, and that is a huge, huge part. Seven and nine, also in 2012. So yeah, I think he's very good. Don't get me wrong. I just think that yeah, I'm not like the Colts need to trade the fourth overall pick for him. I'm not there by any means. But I just think that when you make a move like this, the Chuck Pagano type resumes, to Greg's point, like those are the resumes. And if you look at Carolina, you look at Arizona, you look at Denver, all of these openings, it's pretty much the same people. I don't think it's all of a sudden like. I just think they're. The, this the is best. not that if Alabama fires Nick Saban tomorrow, Alabama's going to attract these candidates, and if Alabama A&M fires their coach tomorrow, they attract these candidates. I, think I, the I, I don't greatest, think it's that. I think the greatest job in the world, the best thing ever that I could have on my LinkedIn, which is tender for business people, or my business card, if people still do that, the best thing ever to to be in life would be to be a moderate, and I'm not saying Sean Payton's moderately, but a moderately successful former NFL or NBA head coach. Just throw me in that hopper every year of like, you know what? I'm I'm Doug Moe. I'm Hubie Brown. I'm Lenny Wilkins. I'm Jeff Fisher. I'm Ron Rivera. I, you know what? Bring me to town and we're going to go nine and seven, baby, every year. And you just, you just keep getting hired. You don't see a lot of those retread names, though, in this cycle. You're right. I mean, Dan Quinn? I mean, who had... I would say decent success with the Falcons. But that's, I mean, he's kind of retread, right? I'm just saying. And, and I guess. My cynicism is just how, such that I'm how like, do you man, view what, that? A, what a beautiful, like. Is Dan Quinn Gruden Dungy? Or is he Ron Rivera? Right. Is he getting the second chance and he's going to flourish? Or is this a guy that's just going to be part? Well, Pete Carroll, I mean. Of the cycle. You know. 
and again, I'm not. I don't want to like carry Sean Payton's water. And maybe this would have happened anywhere. Drew Brees would have gone, but Drew Brees with the Saints was a different quarterback than Drew Brees with the Chargers. I mean, he took his level of play. Yeah, he was well. He was an older. I mean, he was only in San Diego for what a year. Oh no, he was in San Diego for longer than that. Brees. Well, one contract, maybe then three. Yeah, I mean, again, he was still early in his career, but it's not like Drew Brees was this number one overall pick. You knew he was going to turn into that. This was, you know, still an early second round pick that, um, you know, who knows? Maybe he would have had the same sort of career anywhere he went, but obviously with the Saints, um, he took off. We'll talk some Pacers coming up in a few here. Dustin Aparat going to join us. And then uh, Patricia Trena covers the Giants in the 9 o'clock hour again. I, I didn't realize that Breeze, by the way, not to cut you off, was there for five years. I didn't think he was there that long. Did yeah. Because it was, you know, the passing of the torch there with Rivers, right? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously. Yeah, but then the... And, and the I mean, whole drafted, shoulder injury situation and... Yeah, they drafted Eli, right? And then it... Wasn't that how it worked? And wasn't the thought, like, Breeze was going to go to Miami with Saban, but Miami didn't clear him medically. So they went to Dante Culpepper, right? What could have been with all of that? Again, Mike Kafka, Wink Martindale, the two Giants coaches. Ben Johnson pulling out of this coaching search league-wide. I know some people really liked him. Kafka's an offensive name, really young, uh, but is intriguing to me. So I'm looking forward to that conversation coming up. Jake is our next guest. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Guest in the NBA city you would least like to be in? No, because Oklahoma City has the Cowboy Hall of Fame, and I'd go visit that. But other than that, I don't so know what else. John Wayne so, and Clint Eastwood memorabilia. I, I, I guess the follow up would be: Which city would you have below Oklahoma City from an NBA standpoint? You know, I'm in the minority here that I think Sacramento's kind of cool, but that would probably, you know, okay. And I know that we got to get to Dustin. I'm just going to say this, and then I don't want the backlash because people are going to light me up for it, okay? Um, this time of year, Detroit would be leave a lot to be desired, but truth be told... Go out, to Windsor. Out, well, that is true. Go to Roots. Outside of the weather, Orlando doesn't do much for me. If I'm going to Florida, I want to be near water, not mice. That's all. Was that a Disney reference I there? It had to have been a Disney reference. Yeah. I'm not... I mean, people are like, oh, but what about Disney? I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, I, I don't... I don't drink around the world at Epcot. Okay. I mean, I don't care about Harry Potter world. I, I, I just... I don't You're know. Too cool for school. The Cowboy Museum for Jake Query, though. That's right. That's right. Uh, didn't have bit- Give me a lucky strike, not a butterbeer. Right? Have- Here were these animatronic animals. <laughs> didn't have Mickey Mouse dig on my bingo card here for Jake, but sure enough, <laughs> well, there we saying. are. Dustin DePerak, very gracious with his time right now. It is 7.30 in Oklahoma City Can right we, now. I, I thought you said it's Doperak. No, you dope. <laughs> Dope it's close enough, guys. Dustin, <laughs> Dustin, you've probably gone through this your entire life, so apologies on that front. <laughs> totally. 
it's supposed to be pure, but that's all right. Dope okay. here, but it's all right. It's all right. Doperac's fine. If, if if you get the syllables right, generally. But here's the I'm thing: is it, is it is it is it Dopirac or Dopirac? It's Dopirac. There's a little bit of a uh, emphasis in the middle there. Okay, I'm gonna write this. But that's all right. You guys are doing great. I've I've, I've had it butchered so much worse. Yeah, Dustin, so again, thrilled worse. at 7:30 to be clarifying this with <laughs> us here back in Indianapolis. Um, the mice joke was good. I was entertained. So. Yeah, let's not give Jake too much credit there. Uh, game two of a four-game road trip, so off to Denver, Phoenix. Much better city's probably on that front for you uh, here in the next couple of nights. I feel like this is a critical stretch the Pacers are in. You know, the Tyrese Halbert injury, of course, is a huge factor into it. But, Dustin, I feel like for the first time in a while, Pacers fans have now gotten out of this, like, short-term thrill of the season and realized – Ooh, should we pump the brakes a little bit and be looking big picture? Yeah, I mean, like, and and the thing about it is, though, is that you you don't know what you should do when, like, you know, uh, on the sample size when you're talking about you know, playing without their best player. I mean, and I think it, it's it's just been very clear how much of a difference he makes this time. I mean, because this is obviously the second time he's out with with an injury. The first time was only two games, and in those two games, Andrew Nembhard was special, and they only went one on one on one in that. But they beat Golden State, and you're like, okay, well they're they're going to be you know if, if they lose Halliburton, they're going to be fine. Um, and you know, Nembhard's having a much tougher go of it. I mean, he's twenty twenty point six percent from the floor uh, in the last three games. You know, he's making two and a half field goals a night and taking eleven and a half, and that's just that's not a great number. Um, and so now you're looking, you're saying, okay, well if they if, if they don't win in until he gets back, you know, then you're looking at sub 500. And if you're sub 500 toward the end of January, that you got to think something different. But I mean, they're just coming off a win in eight out of ten. So with, with with Halliburton on the floor, so that tells you, okay, but you can get him back and get right back in it. You know, that, that it's totally possible that if that if he's back and he's healthy, you know, you can win a string of games, and that's the best stretch they've had. Um, you know, over a ten game stretch uh, this season. I think they had a five game winning streak earlier in the year, but I mean, they were also beating pretty bad teams on that one. I mean, this this one they were beating, you know, uh, teams that matter, teams that are legitimate title contenders, Cleveland. You know the Clippers. I mean, there there are some there are some really good wins. Boston. Um, there's some really good wins in that stretch. So I I don't think uh, there is a possibility you could you could that, that this could change the trajectory for the negative, and you might start thinking about uh, possibly moving people. I mean, obviously the the big key just comes down to you know where are they going to be with Miles Turner um, at that point uh, if, if they can get him to an extension. Then obviously you're you're not really thinking about throwing pieces away. Um, but they're they're definitely in a weird spot, and I think it's definitely a case where you, you just have to win a couple. You don't have to. You, you just don't. You, you need to just not lose out. You know, you need to just find a way to get a couple wins on this trip. Uh, you know, maybe beat Chicago on Tuesday when they come back home. I mean, just just get something out of this stretch where Halliburton's not playing, so that you're not totally free falling while he's out. Let's begin with this, Dustin, on the Halliburton front, and then I've got a follow up about Miles Turner, but. Um, I know that when Tyrese Halliburton got hurt, and it you know it was the the elbow knee deal, and it was that he's going to be reassessed in two weeks. Um, that reassessment is expected to take place exactly when. And have you heard from either Halliburton or Indiana in general just overall as to where they feel that timeline is? Has it moved at all? Uh, not so far. I mean, the only thing I could say is that uh, I, we haven't really just heard much of him, but he was in. 
Um, he was in Milwaukee on 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 Monday uh, because I mean that's just you know close to his hometown in Oshkosh. He was you know pretty much the mayor there. Uh, well, you know basically just take well, just holding court on in pregame uh, with just everybody came to see him. And I mean he, he I mean he's walking around okay. I mean I think you know obviously we're only talking about you know four or five days out uh, at this point. So you're not expecting a whole big drastic, uh, you know, change there. So I don't know exactly, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll probably check in with Rick today just to get a better sense. We'll get, we'll get to pregame uh, to see if they know anything more, you know, that will be a week past it uh, today. Um, and, you know, just sort of see if anything's changed. But uh, I mean, you know, the next time we saw him, like he was off crutches. It's not like he's, uh, you know, he's completely hobbled. Um, so there's, I, I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, you, if you're just seeing him walk around, you can't tell. You know, it's not like very obvious. Now, obviously, you know, Chris Duarte looked okay for a while before they actually let him play. Um, so, so that obviously could be an issue. You know, like when you're talking about sprains, and, and they're always just a little bit tricky about okay, how far along is this guy? And there's always a difference between one guy and the other. Um, but you know, you're, you're not looking at somebody who's just totally broken still at this point. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't. You know, I, 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 there, there, I don't. I haven't seen a reason yet to be concerned that it'll go beyond two weeks. But you know, obviously, we'll check in and see if there's anything more to that. I believe, Dustin, that the Pacers would really like, and and we know that their you know preliminary offer was extended. I do believe that their priority is going to be to retain Miles Turner. But if they feel that there is a price tag they do not want to exceed. Do you think, even though he was sent to Fort Wayne and fell out of rotation a little bit there, do you think that Indiana has started to feel like they've seen enough out of Jackson to make up if they were to lose Miles Turner? Could he take on the same kind of rim protection role, or does he not have the outside game, and therefore they would have to seek elsewhere to replace Miles Turner in the long run? I think they'd have to seek elsewhere to play to to play him in the wrong run. I mean, I, I think Isaiah Jackson is definitely a rotation player in the NBA. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I just don't know if he's miles. Um, you know, long term. I think that uh, you know you, you've seen a lot of good things from him. I mean, I think you know, and, and he's a great dude, and so like he's a very easy person to root for. You, sort of, you want to see good things for him. Um, but you know, there's just more variance in Miles Turner's game. I mean, like I, I'm sure by this point in their careers, you know, Turner was a much much better shooter even then, and, and now I mean, like he's not. You know, he's not shooting 40, but like you know, you, you can rely on him for one of those games where he hits, you know, four, five, six. You know, six is a little bit much, but like, you know, four or five threes. That's not a crazy number for him, and and uh, you know, he hit some big ones um, on Monday, and that was a big reason why they were in that game. He comes back, you know, after a couple of games out and goes for 30. Um, and I just don't see Isaiah Jackson as being that type of guy. And, and on, on a flip side, I mean, like uh, Jackson's terrific rim protector, and you've really seen that I think in in some of these games recently, and you know, a lot of energy you know again very valuable player so i don't i don't want to do this just you know bang on isaiah jackson and act like he's not very good i mean i I think he's a really good rotation player and he can start for you on occasion um but miles turner is a guy that every once in a while can get you 30 and i haven't seen that from isaiah jackson yet obviously he's still he just turned 21 like last week um and so there's a lot more years to him and you know certainly you could get by um, if you know, with Jalen Jackson and uh, I'm sorry, Jalen Jackson, Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. I mean, that's that's a functional uh, rotation for a five man, but you're not you don't have a plus five man between those two. And you know, I, I, obviously, everybody can develop. You know, things can change. But I mean, you, you haven't seen Jackson as a guy that is confident uh, stepping out at three a lot. Where Turner has obviously you know done that for for his whole career. That's a, that's an important 
always been an important piece of his game. Um, I just have a hard time imagining. I mean, you know, can Jackson be a poor man's Miles Turner? Yes, I think. But can Jackson be Miles Turner? I don't know. And I don't know that you contend for a title if you don't have somebody at least at Miles Turner at Miles Turner's level at the five. If, if you have long-term aspirations of them being really good, you know, could they get by for a year with Isaiah? Yeah, they could get by for a year with Isaiah, but I don't know that you could, um, I, you know, I just, I, I, I don't think you're equaling him in the long term with Isaiah. Dustin Apirak is with us from the Annapolis Star right now in Oklahoma City tonight. Pacers and Thunder, four-point favorite Oklahoma City in that one. Obviously, one of the stars from the other night and really kind of out-of-body performance was TJ McConnell from a scoring standpoint. Teams are desperate at the trade deadline. We know that full well. TJ McConnell is an older guy. I think he brings a lot of good to the Indiana Pacers, but I think when you have guys like him and you have an Andrew Nemhard, and theoretically he is a point guard, I know he's been asked to do a lot, I think you ask yourself the question, if you're Kevin Pritchard, you know, would TJ McConnell get anything if you were to trade? Like, is there a playoff-hungry team that says, we need a veteran backup point guard? Am I way off base on that, or do you think that is something the Pacers might just ask themselves of, okay, could TJ McConnell, you know, get us back some, you know, late, late first-round pick from a desperate playoff team? Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know... um, I just don't need. I don't think they need a late, a late first round pick enough to move them. Uh, I mean, too our, much our value here. Is, yeah, I, I think there's. It, but but to your point, like I, I think you'd have to look and see what's out there. You know, I I, I think you have to. Um, if if you can do better than that, if someone's a little bit more desperate and they need a backup point guard when they really need a second unit guy to to, to take them the distance. Um, then, yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think it's, I mean, it, it makes sense to field offers. I mean, that's, that's an important component um, to a championship team is having somebody that can run the floor when, you, when you've got your second unit out there um, that's a smart player that brings energy. You know, I mean, like Rick Carlisle will tell you all day how valuable he is um, and, you know, how much he thinks he's helped this group. Um, and so, I mean, obviously, he's an important chemistry piece. He's an important on-the-floor piece. And, you know, Nemhart's having some moments where he's not uh, been as good um, as, again, like you saw him, you know, come out and be spectacular the first time Halliburton was hurt, and he's been phenomenal defensively. Uh, you know, and that's I think a really important thing. Um, I don't think they would. The, the the issue with if you're the Pacers is um, I don't think that you you know like you have him in the first unit right now. You have Nemhart in the first unit right now as a starter. They they like that lineup. Uh, they like having Nemhart and Neesmith in the in the starting lineup. So that's their two best defenders. So you have three really good offensive players. You have two guys that are oh, that, that you know can make shots and, and do the occasional thing on offense, but are there for their for their defense. When you talk about these with them, hard obviously you have you know Turner, who's kind of both as a rim protector and a guy who can score the basketball. So they they generally sort of like the balance they have of guys that can score and guys that can play defense on the first team. And then you have McConnell running the second unit, and Nemhart can get some minutes there, but he doesn't do a ton uh, on the point. I mean, and he can move back there, but you know I think they like where they're at in terms of being able to have everything that they want because you don't want Halliburton to defending one of your best defensive players. That's not, or offensive players, that's not his game. He gets steals. He's opportunistic as far as grabbing the ball, but he's not a lockdown defender where Nemhart can be. Um, so I don't think, I mean, I, I think they consider McCon- McConnell an important piece to this group. And if it's going anywhere, they're going to want to keep him. Uh, if to move him, I think you're going to have to want, you're going to have to get something. Uh, you're going to have to get something important. Um, and it, it, it can't just be a throwaway thing. 
uh, is, is what I would say. I think they, they see more value, value in him than that. Um, you know, because of the veteran presence, the leadership, the energy that he brings, the hustle, you know, the backcourt steals. I mean, he, he gets a bunch of possessions that way. Um, you know, he, he stands out when it comes to the analytics. I mean, right now, I mean, in the three games that Halliburton's hurt, he's, he's their second leading scorer. You know, and that's not just from last night. You know, that's, I mean, he, he's been putting the ball in the bucket. Um, and so there's, there's real value there. And, and again, if they have a situation where they lose Halliburton at all, uh, you know, then the bottom can fall out if you don't have a TJ McConnell. So I, I think that they would have to be impressed um, by an offer for them to give him up. Dustin Dopriak is our guest. He is on the Payless Lickers hotline, of course, talking about the Pacers. All right, I've, I've got my list here of if I was traveling the Pacers beat, the five cities, like if you had a day in between and you were in a city for the day, the five cities in the NBA beat that, that I would least want to spend that day in, and let me preface with much of this is weather-oriented. I've been to all of these <clears throat> cities, and I think there are certain cool things about all of them. But my bottom five, and I'm considering that it's probably going to be in the winter months, Detroit, Cleveland, Toronto, Philly, and then Orlando. Atlanta is in the mix because downtown Atlanta is nothing but hotels and chain restaurants. Um, your, your thoughts? So I haven't been to all of them yet. That's I mean, now I love Philly because I got people in Philly, so I would never. It's a great them. city. There's no doubt about yeah. that. It's By the way, Dustin, a Penn State grad, so some ties. Yeah, to, that, important to important to say there. Like uh, you know, like half my best friends in college are from Philly, uh, or, or from from the outstanding area. Uh, you know. Uh, Chris Corman's a Redding guy from way back. Now he lives in, uh, you know, outside of Baltimore now. But I mean, I've got, you know, good friends. The third guy we covered the Penn State football beat with in college, Jeff France, goes out there. Um, so I got people in Philly, and I, I love Philly. So I, I could never put them on my list there. Um, yeah, I mean, like I'm the type that, like, if you put me downtown, I'm gonna find something to do. I, I get know? it. Like I'm gonna find something I like, and it's just like if I if I got a you know bar, like, I, I think Oak City. Oak City is kind of underrated, right? I mean, isn't like Bricktown yeah. pretty cool? And then like Bricktown's pretty cool. I'm, I'm staying in Bricktown. I'm literally their their AAA ballpark is down here, and like uh, my hotel, I'm at the Hampton Inn basically, and I, I like literally my window looks out to the ballpark. Like I'm in like left field, um, and there's you know like there's like three, four, five bars right outside my right outside my hotel, um, and it's I'm like you know, a half mile to the arena. And so there's a whole bunch of, there's some interesting, cool stuff. I mean, it's definitely not like you wouldn't think of it as this grand cosmopolitan place that I'm sitting in, but there's stuff to do down here. I think uh, you mentioned the, the Cowboy uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, I, I walked and saw the American Banjo Museum is on the way down here also. So that's got to be a little bit of a trip. I'm you know, the, the American Banjo Museum, I got in there one time uh, after hours. You mm-hmm. know how? how? I'd love to know. Uh, pulled yeah, some strings. Sorry. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Dustin, if you ever needed a reason to either go to those bars I'm, right now or actually go back to bed, <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. exactly. Uh, okay, so what was the other Mark? Last show? time he probably responds to a yeah. text saying you want to come on the show. Orlando was my last one, but we talked about that. You had um, Detroit, yeah. I, I got it. I, I've been to. I've only been to Detroit. I think once. I want to uh, say. Um, I so spent a month I, there one weekend. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, you've heard not great things about Detroit uh, on the whole, but you know, I, mean, I, I thought their downtown was pretty cool. I mean, I, 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 
checked out a game at Comerica one time, uh, you know, with some friends. We, we didn't have a chance to really dig into the place, but I mean, I could see some cool things around there. Um, and so I, I don't know too much about where the arena's at, but I, I, that, that's a place I'm going to have to stay because I think they've got like a Saturday, Monday deal. and we'll try Windsor, to baby. To that. Head to yeah, Windsor. There we go. Hey, um, last thing. Yeah, so we'll see. Mm. Dustin, Bricktown accurately describes the streak that Chris Duarte was on there. He might have broken out of yes. it a little bit, but how big a concern was the slump that Duarte was in? I mean, it was it, it was putting putting a major weight on him. I, I think you've actually seen a weight come off uh, really since. I mean, just he had a couple last night, or not last night. He had a couple on Monday, and yeah, he 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 seemed like there's a weight off his shoulders. Uh, you know, just since he finally went off for 25. I mean, like I, I the, the wild part for me was like. I, I, you know, I only followed the team so close last year because obviously I was covering IU, uh, you know, football and basketball. So it was like, okay, there's so many, only so many nights where I just like watched the Pacers and I knew Duarte was shooting pretty well. Uh, but I mean, he got hurt like the day before they moved me over on the beat. And so I didn't even know, like, I didn't even, I barely even seen him play when they brought him in and, you know, brought him back when he, when he, when he came off the injury. Uh, and man, he just looked hopeless uh, for that entire 11 game stretch. I mean, I mean, the numbers are just abysmal. He was shooting 18.6% from the floor, three of 32 from three. I mean, that's just brutal, you know, especially for a guy that considers himself a shooter. And I say considers himself, and that's not really a fair way to put it because he had every right to, uh, you know, he was a great shooter everywhere he'd been uh, his whole life. He came to, you know, the Pacers and and, had a terrific rookie season shooting the ball. So he had every reason to think he should be able to just come right back and and at least knock down shots, even if he wasn't going to be as explosive uh, as he is. He's used to being not as a super explosive guy, but, but he, had reason to be able to put the ball in the bucket and he just could not find it um and just so much was going on there so much i think it, it you know you had to consider it a concern because you know this is a guy that's supposed to get you buckets and he's not um so you know what do you do there and and and, and if that slump never ends you know like you know how much can you play the guy um but so it's obviously big for them to get him shooting again especially with Halliburton out they need a little more perimeter punch and if they're going to, I mean, they, they haven't gone back to a, sec, a true second unit yet uh, with Halliburton out, even though they're back to 10, uh, 10 useful guys in rotation. Um, they didn't play Jackson a lot on, on Monday. Um, but it, you, you have to have a guy coming off that second, off the bench. If you're going to move Matherin in the starting lineup for a little while, you have to get buckets from Duarte um, in the second unit. You, know, you, you can depend on something from McConnell, but you can't depend on 25 and 4 or 4 for 3 every night. Um, so, you know, they're going to need some buckets out of him uh, during the stretch. Uh, and so it's really important that he finally got off the schneid. I, I think, you know, I, I, I don't think he's going to go off for 25 every night. I don't even know if he's going to go for double figures every night. But I think you're going to see him start to make some shots. He just seems uh, a lot more at ease. There's, there is a, definitely a weight lifted off that man uh, since, 20, since, uh, since Saturday. He's got your coverage from the road. After tonight, it's off to Denver and Phoenix coming up Friday and Saturday, a four-game road trip for the Pacers. Dustin DePirac with the Indianapolis Star. Dustin, safe travels, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jake, we're going to be a bit selfish here in this segment, I think, for New York Giants fans. Well, that's a change of pace for me. Well, yeah. 
Exactly. That's a great point. Uh, for New York Giants fans, of utmost importance is Saturday night in Philly as the Giants take on the Eagles in the divisional round of the playoffs. Uh, for us in this market, we probably care more about their two coordinators and Mike Kafka on offense and Wink Martindale on defense. The Colts reportedly have put an interview request for both, if I'm not mistaken. I think both will hold off on interviews this week. Sounds like that could be on the agenda Sunday for either or both of them and to get to know a little bit more about Kafka and Martindale we head to the Payless Liquors hotline where Patricia Trena resides GiantsCountry.com locked on Giants podcast among others Patricia first off good morning and thanks for kind of deviating from I'm sure what a lot of your fan base wants to chat about good morning to you guys hope you're doing well uh, let's start with the news earlier this week on the Colts interview request for both of them. Um, any level of surprise to hear the interest for Mike Kafka and or Wink Martindale? No, not really. I mean, when, when a team is doing well, which the Giants have been doing this season, uh, their, their assistants are going to be in demand. I mean, I thought with Kafka maybe it would be another year, but considering what Daniel Jones, how he has turned things around under his you know, Kafka's play calling, Brian Dable's leadership, uh, not a surprise at all. The Colts are a team that I'm sure are going to look into getting a new, a new young quarterback and grooming a new offense and defense. So can't say that it's a surprise given what the Giants have done with, under Kafka on offense and Martindale on defense in the first year. You know, Patricia, I think you touched on a really good point there in terms of what Indianapolis is going to have to do now, which is inevitably it seems as though go to a young quarterback and let's talk about Daniel Jones and what New York was able to do was Kafka able to kind of bring something out of him here with Daniel Jones or was this simply part of the maturation process of a young quarterback in the NFL finally kind of getting his his footing underneath him I think it was a combination of both. I think what Kafka and Brian Dable did is they basically reset Daniel Jones' mind. Remember, Daniel had had multiple coaches, multiple coordinators, multiple systems. I mean, that's enough to send something into a tizzy. And Dable and Kafka, Kafka being a former quarterback who, of course, you know, as a coach, uh, mentored or learned under Andy Reid, who, you know, I think we can all agree is one of the best out there, if not the best. He, they came in and they offered some stability to him. They allowed him to make mistakes in practice, to get a feel for what he knows, what he can, what he's comfortable with and whatnot, and just grow from there. And, and you just saw it with Daniel Jones. Each and every week, he became more and more confident. And uh, he's got that offense, you know, it's, it's not a not a juggernaut, don't get me wrong, but it's certainly headed in the right direction under that, that system. Yeah, and I, I would argue, considering the personnel wide receiver and tight end, it's pretty impressive what they've done offensively. Um, again, Patricia Traina joined us. She covers the Giants a little bit more. Mike Kafka, their offensive coordinator, and Wink Martindale, two candidates the Colts have interest in. Uh, while we're on the offensive side of the ball, let, let's stick there. You know, I think when Brian Dable was hired, I was just under the impression that he would probably call the plays. You know, We saw it with Nick Sirianni, at least early in his Philly career. Sirianni then handed it off to his OC, but it seemed like from day one, or at least you know, there's a little bit of trial in the offseason, but Dable has not called the plays and allowed Kafka to do that. Can you kind of explain that process and, and exactly maybe whose offense we're, we're looking at? Is this a little bit more Dable, or is this a little bit more Kafka bringing over what he knew from Kansas City? I think it's 
probably more stable, but just by a little bit. Casa brought some some elements over from Kansas City as well as other, you know, remember, Casa was a, a, a former NFL quarterback, so he probably brought some things here and there from, from his playing days as well. But, um, it, you know, the offense is, is primarily what they did in Buffalo. I would say the majority of it is. But there's enough, you know, if, if you look real close, you'll see little elements that Kansas City likes to run. And it's been a very good blend for the Giants. Daniel Jones is really taking to it. And as you mentioned, you know, with receivers that I think if anybody had said at the start of the season that these would be the top receivers he'd be throwing to, you'd be like, nah, no way. Uh, then you throw in the addition of Saquon Barkley, you know, a good runner who has just been really, you know, he's been solid as, as all heck. And, uh, you know, you've had, a great ma- you've had a great marriage and a system that has just evolved and been effective. Patricia, you have covered the New York Giants under several different coaching tenures, probably, for that matter, of different coaching styles. In your experience in covering the NFL and being in locker rooms and talking to players and and breaking down games, do you believe that coaching success is found more so if you were if it were up to you? Do you think that it is more about a coach that comes in with a fresh offensive or defensive schematic philosophy, or at the professional level, is it more important to have a coach that simply understands how to reach personalities and mesh them together into a unit? I think it's a little bit of both, but I think the personality meshing aspect is, is very often overlooked. You know, you're coming in and you got to remember what, what's the definition of a coach? A coach is someone who stands behind you, who's kind of like a teacher or a mentor, and their job is to bring out the best in, in the people with whom they're entrusted to, 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 to shape. And, you know, it helps to have a plan. It helps to have a solid system. But sometimes what you see with coaches is that they don't have the personality to connect to their players. You know, it's, it's kind of my way or no way. Or they don't have the, the ability to adapt. We've seen that certainly here in New York where coaches have come in with what, knowing one system and by golly, we're going to make this system fit. Even though our players might not be a fit for what we're running, we're going to make it fit come, you know, regardless. So you have to have that flexibility, and that comes from the personal level. You have to be able to realize when, okay, maybe I can't have this guy do this particular play or make this particular throw, but he's good doing this, so how can we build the system or adapt the system around what he does well? She's Patricia Train. Again, covers the Giants, GiantsCountry.com, SI.com, Locked on Giants podcast. She's with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline, getting to know Mike Kafka, their OC, Wink Martindale, their defensive coordinator. Colts have put in interview requests for both. Uh, Kafka's 35. You flip over to the other side of the ball, you've got a 59-year-old in Martindale. He is the oldest of the uh, 11 candidates the Colts have looked into so far. We had Chuck Pagano on with us yesterday, and he mentioned that Martindale, we will love him from a personality standpoint, kind of compared him a little bit to Bruce Arians. Um, certainly a guy that strikes me as you'd like to you know, sit next to and have a beer with. Um, how would you describe what Martindale has brought defensively? Because you know, that is, you know, unlike offense, you know, Brian Dable is primarily on that side of the ball. I'd assume that that's his baby over there. Yeah. Wink Martindale, the personality, it, you know, I think 
you nailed it when you said he's the type of guy you'd want to sit and have a beer with. The thing about Wink is, you know, he came into the to, to the league. He's always had that reputation as being aggressive, which feeds into the mentality of a defensive player. What do defensive players like to do? They like to be aggressive. They like to get after the quarterback, get after the receiver, get after the ball carrier. So Wink Martindale is all about that. But the thing that makes Wink very special and, and why I think his players here on the Giants absolutely love him is he's not a afraid to go to him go to them and ask them for their input there have been instances like for example where you know during the game he'll go to his his defensive lineman or his captains and say hey guys should we do this or should we do that what do you what are you feeling what are you seeing out there and you gotta remember you know sometimes with coaches they never quite you know a lot of them don't play at the nfl level and yet they've been entrusted to guide NFL players to, you know, to win. So for a coach to, to put aside his ego and go to these guys who are actually out there on the front line and say, what are you seeing? And, you know, should we do A, B, or C? That really means a lot to them. And then when they say, well, coach, we should do A, and he says, okay, go ahead and do it. Well, now the players are like, okay, he trusts us. We made the decision. we got to go out there, and we've got to justify it and show him that he was right to trust us. So you just have that dynamic that develops and just take, helps the players take it to a whole nother level. Patricia, let's say two and a half weeks from now, the Colts make a hire. They come from the Giants. Will Giants fans be more upset if that hire is Mike Kafka or Wink Martindale? Oh, gosh. I think it's, <laughs> it's going to be 50-50. But um, if I had to take a guess, Maybe Wink, and the reason why I say that is because I believe, and this is not a diss on Mike Kafka, I think they would be devastated if Kafka left, but you have Dable with that system. There's enough of that system that can carry over, and plus I think they might have somebody on staff already if, if Kafka were to move on. Over on defense, you know, do they have somebody on staff who can take over for Wink? Possibly, but... Um, that's a little trickier, you know. You'd, I, I would think they'd want to establish continuity if they could, but you know, at least they have more continuity because you know, Dable's not going anywhere for a while. You know, hopefully not for a long while. So yeah, I would say probably the more devastating loss would be would be Martindale. In terms of the New York Giants and the upcoming matchup with Philadelphia. Uh, just while we have you here to wrap it up, your thoughts on the matchup and what New York needs to do to stay alive? Yes, yeah, it, it's a tough one. You know, it's the third time going to be a charm for the New York Giants. You know, the Eagles have a loaded roster. I think we can all agree that they have an absolutely loaded roster. Maybe the 49ers have the, have the best roster in the league, but that, that's down the line, hopefully. Um, the Giants... Against the Eagles in the Week 18 game, their backups played the Eagles starters pretty solid. Now, to be fair, both sides were pretty vanilla because I think both sides anticipated there might be a possibility they'd see each other in the playoffs again. But the Giants, if they want to stay alive, number one, first and foremost, you've got to play a clean game. You can't have mistakes. Number two, I think their their best bet is going to be to try and get that running game going. The Eagles have shown on defense that they can be run against. So if the Giants can do that, maybe that loosens a few things up down the field. If they can't run the ball, then I think it's going to be a long night for the Giants. Then on the other side, it looks like Jalen Hurts is going to play. Now, the Eagles look like a totally different team. They struggled without Jalen Hurts in the, in the lineup. 
So he's going to be back. How much they're going to ask him to do, my guess is they're going to just take the, the constraints off and say, look, it's all or nothing, so let's just do it. So they've got to make sure that he doesn't burn them with, the, with his legs because, look, if he's burning them with the legs and then he's got those three receivers that he can throw to, that can make for a long night as well. So got to get a clean game, run the ball, and just, you know, zero in on Jalen Hurts. Try to affect them. I think Week Martindale is going to be a little bit more aggressive this week than he was last week against Kirk Cousins and just, you know, leave it all out on the field. If you look at the wild card weekend, we saw the third matchups, divisional teams playing each other for a third time. We saw all of the underdogs have second-half leads, so that's got to be encouraging to the Giants as they look at themselves as a touchdown underdog in Philly in what will be a raucous atmosphere come Saturday night. Patricia, great stuff. Uh, we'll see what happens the rest of the head coaching cycle. Might have you back on if they do make a an official hire here of a Kafka or a Martindale, but really appreciate you uh, kind of breaking off from the game on Saturday and giving us a little bit of insight. My pleasure, guys. Have a good one. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.